Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. We welcome you to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I am your host, Doris Hansen. I'd like to mention right off that our support group, our discussion group, uh, that we hold monthly for those whose lives have been touched by polygamy in any way is going to be next Monday evening at 6.30. If you're interested in coming, we'd love to have you join us. You can email us or call us for information. Um, and we have some very good discussions. You can either join in uh, by just listening or join in by participating with your story, but we'd love to have you come. So give us a call and we'll let you know the details. And you know, we are still looking for a place to house an escapee from the FLDS polygamy group. A woman with six children needs a place to live. Now, we know that there are people out there who could be looking for a tax deduction that could donate perhaps a rental unit or a home uh, that, that she could use for the duration of her needs and then write it off as a tax deduction. We also know that there's people out there who could donate repossessed homes or, or foreclosures or property which we could convert to funds that would provide housing for those who finally manage to escape a polygamy group, uh, but they find it very difficult to integrate into mainstream society because of lack of resources. So we're asking for your help in locating these desperately needed resources. You know, having been born and raised in a polygamy group, I was taught all the doctrine of early Mormonism, which included the Mormon Articles of Faith. We were taught that the Bible is not a faithful book of God's Word, that it has been misused, abused, mistranslated, and corrupted. We were taught that the Book of Mormon and Joseph Smith was God's answer to the corruption of the biblical record. The same doctrine continues to be taught in all the Mormon-based polygamy groups and the mainline Mormon church itself. In short, their dogma claims that the Bible is not reliable because it hasn't been translated correctly and that some passages have actually been removed. For example, the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 327, says, and I quote, Ignorant translators, careless transcribers, or designing and corrupt priests have committed many errors. End quote. Another example is by Bruce R. McConkie in a speech that he gave uh, at BYU in August of 1984. And part of what he said, quote, The Bible abounds in errors and mistranslations, end quote. You know, there are scores upon scores of remarks made by Mormons and by polygamists denouncing the reliability of our Bible. Because the Mormon Church has made these charges of biblical corruption, which brings violence against God's character, we are devoting this show to answering the accusations of biblical inaccuracy and whether God was true to His promise. And God did promise that His Word would never fail. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. And His Word has endured. It has never failed. Not for one second, not for one minute, not for 1,800 years. 
God is faithful to His Word. Our guest tonight to bring his expertise to the question is Pastor Jim Catlin. He's been our guest several times in the past. In fact, last March 10th in 2011, he presented some very valuable information questioning the veracity of the origins of the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenant. You may want to go to our website, whatloveisthis.tv, and watch that particular show. It's very informative. So now I would like to introduce and welcome back to our show, Pastor Jim Catlin. Thanks for joining us. Expertise is a big thing to put on my shoulders tonight. <laughs> this is great. I will look forward to this. Well, I think that you'll convince a lot of people that you've got some experience, expertise in this. I hope we can bring up some stuff a lot of people don't know, because it's, it's an easy charge to make that the Bible has problems. But when you look at it, it may not have as many as you think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's what we want to do. You know, I got an email not too long ago, and it fit right in with the show. It's a short one, so I thought I would read it to kind of launch our discussion. Um, the viewer wrote, Dear Doris, you were commenting that the LDS Church believes the Bible is true as far as it's translated correctly. The Bible we have today is a copy of a copy of a copy, etc. We do not have... Uh, the original documents. Do you think there may be a possibility that something was not translated correctly along the line? One word uh, translated incorrectly can change the whole meaning of a sentence. Maybe that is why the LDS Church says that the Bible is not trustworthy. You know, they can say something all day long, but how about some proof? You know, the LDS Church has never come up with a shred of academic proof to back up their slanderous claims against God's Word, and that's our focus tonight. So tell us, why is it important to determine the reliability of the Bible? Well, you know, the Bible has has an, an extraordinarily important message, and that message is is founded on where it where it actually uh, uh, <laughs> getting signals, how it actually uh, comes from where it comes from and who wrote it. So that's one thing. But I think what we wanted to focus on tonight was just the idea of the accusations that are made um, from the Mormon camp about the Book of Mormon. And uh, so I think, I think if we focus first on where it says, you quoted a couple of great things, let's go to the Book of Mormon and, uh, uh, and we'll see what it says in the Book of Mormon. So we have, if you turn to 1 Nephi 13, uh, uh, it says something that's quite astonishing. It says, uh, 1 Nephi 13, 26, I think we have a graphic for this. Um, and after they go forth by the hand of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, from the Jews unto the Gentiles, thou seest the formation of the great and abominable church. Remember yep. that phrase? Mm-hmm. Great and abominable church, which is most abominable above all other churches. For behold, they have taken away from the gospel of the Lamb many parts, which are plain and most precious, and also many covenants of the Lord they have taken away. And all this have they done that they might pervert the right ways of the Lord, that they might blind the eyes and harden the hearts of the children of men. So in that particular That's quite section, a charge. It's really, it's, it's really quite a charge because it says that plain and precious uh, parts and truths have just been, been cut out, basically. They've just been taken out, just completely dropped and erased uh, from what's going on. And then what you'd mentioned before comes from Article 8 of the Articles of Faith, um, and, and that basically just says that we believe the Bible to be the Word of God as far as it's translated correctly. Mm-hmm. So it looks as though we have, we have two issues. We have the, have the issue about did things actually get cut out and removed, plain and precious parts, lots of them, by the Great and Abominable Church. And what about the translation issues? Is it the translation from the ancient language into English corrupted? So those, I think that's the two issues we've mm-hmm. So who did all this tampering with the Bible that they claim happened? Well, if you, if you take what you, what you see in 1 Nephi 13, 
uh, they say it's the great and abominable church. It says it's what rose up after the 12 apostles. And then when you read what the leaders of the church have said, uh, they put most of their blame in the very early history right after the last apostles who walked with Jesus died. So there's that mm -hmm. whole section of time after them, and that which they call the great and abominable church. So at that point, the last apostle dies. There's a period of time where the church, according to the LDS church, loses its authority. And as a result, huge chunks of plain and precious truth are taken out. So it's that immediate time right after uh, the, the death of the last The death apostles. of the last apostles. So we have two issues here. Right. And, and we want to cover both of them. Right. So which one do you want to start with, the plain and precious things or the, the bad translation? Well, let's do translation. That's easier. And, <laughs> and in fact, that's, that's the issue that has been, uh, I mean, it's, the, the academics have just shut this whole discussion down. I haven't heard anything good said from the Mormon camp. So that's, that's been a shutout. So let's talk about that first. Now, it's listed as very prominently in their articles yeah, of faith. It's, that is it's still there. In it's, so far. It's hard. When you see what we're going to talk about, it's hard to understand why. Um, have they ever shown us where those bad translations are No, and that, are that's at? the thing. We have, we have so many of the original Greek and Hebrew documents that go back for, for centuries and centuries, I mean, millennia in some cases. So that, call that raw material. That's the raw material of the original language. You, someone should be able to take that language in the Greek and the Aramaic and the Hebrew and then take it across to what we use our English translation to say today and say, aha, look at that. Some nasty guy translated that word improperly over here. But I've never yet seen any Mormon from any camp say, we found the translation errors. This was deliberately mistranslated to misrepresent and misdirect people. There, there's just nothing there. And when, when you have a mountain of original language to do it from, you'd mm -hmm. think you'd be able to point to something. But mm -hmm. nothing's ever been pointed out. It's, uh, I mean, the linguists will talk about, they'll wrestle over the best English word to use. But if you, if you did a deliberate mistranslation where right. yes became no and good became bad, yeah. Uh, yeah. someone would raise their hand and say, look, I've got the original documents, I've got the English, you guys are doing it wrong, you're, you're misdirecting us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, yet, I've never seen anyone bring that up. And didn't Joseph Smith, now when he decided that he was going to make his, yeah, his precious translation of the right. Bible, didn't he just kind of comb through it and did, did he find any, any of these well, exactly. translation I mean, errors? That, that's and fix a great them? point because he went through and he edited the Bible theoretically to fix those errors. So uh, so why it is, you can look at all this and, and try and figure out why it is that, uh, that that the translations are wrong because Joseph Smith took a look at it. I, I don't get, I mean, that should that actually should be the end of the whole translation debate because Joseph Smith went through and checked out the King James Bible, which probably had translation errors according to their claim, and he should have fixed them. So mm -hmm. shouldn't, that be, shouldn't that now be the end? In fact, uh, I've had Mormon missionaries come to my house on several occasions. I'm going to move my mic here for a second because I say it's not working quite right. Um, and I, when I've had them come over to the house, I've asked them, I said, well, you guys use the King James Version, right? And they say, yeah, we use the King James Version. I said, well, why don't you use Joseph Smith's Version, the, the JST, the Inspired Version? Uh, because that's, uh, by definition, sorry about all the noise here, uh, <laughs> that by definition is a, is a better translation. So why don't you use that? All the errors have been corrected in it. And, uh, uh, Noise, noise. And usually what they tell me immediately is, well, it wasn't finished. It wasn't finished. Oh, but it was. But it was finished. And in fact, the RLDS Church, which is now what Community of Christ they call mm -hmm, themselves, mm -hmm. they publish it. I've got a copy in my office. Mm -hmm. So it's there. I mean, all the discussion about whether translation is wrong should be gone now because theoretically, you know, the prophet, Joseph Smith, fixed it all. But 
still it's an Article 8, you know. And it's still there. As much mm -hmm. as it's translated. Just like 132 is still in the it's book. It's still there, and that should be either. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's move away from, from the, the deliberate uh, sabotage, from the mistranslation to perhaps the deliberate sabotage. Did this great and abominable church uh, take actually take a razor blade in the early centuries and just start cutting away and take out these plain and precious truths? Well, well let, let's split for a second. The, the Bible is actually two big sections. Everyone knows this: the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about the Old because you have to talk two different arguments based on the two sections of it, how they came to us, and how possibly sections could have been taken out in that sense. Uh, so let's start with the Old Testament. Most people don't understand that the, that the Jewish community from generations long, long past consider themselves uh, the, the really the heartfelt caretakers of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. That's true. And, uh, and over the over the centuries, they've developed an interesting an interesting strategy. What they want to do to make sure that totally accurate copies are carried forward was they instituted a very rigorous, I mean, like a crazy rigorous technique to be able to do the copies how many words you can put on a page, what the columns are, and even a pretty advanced and very mundane and exhaustive error-checking technique. And they've done, this, uh, they've done this for centuries. And mm -hmm. when they would finish a perfect copy based on those techniques, they'd take the old copies and, and so that they would protect people in the future from being misled by copies where the ink might fall off or something like that, they would destroy the old ones. Mm -hmm. So it turns out old copies of the Old Testament we don't have, but the new copies they keep being pushed forward are, are incredibly air checked. In fact, there's a there's a technique that we use in the internet that you use on your phone today, and you don't even know it, uh, called cyclic redundancy check and checksums, uh, where you actually you add up all the numbers, of the data streams. That's what that's what the Jews would do when they would check. They would take the Bible when they finish a translation, and they would count to find the middle word mm -hmm. in the Bible. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't the same as the middle word in the original text, they'd throw this one away. They would check to find out where the middle letter was mm -hmm. and count their way in. They would count how many how many sentences had all the letters of the Hebrew alphabet in it and make note of it. So so they had these error checking techniques that when they would get finished with a copy, they'd say we've done all the error checking, this one's exactly right, and they destroy the old one. So carrying forward on the on the Bible from the Old Testament has been a passion of theirs for generations, and so you can almost guarantee that what they've carried forward in the copies is nearly perfect. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and, and again, I, I like to mention, God said it, He can do it. I yeah, mean, He, can, he right. can control what yeah. people do or don't do. Yeah. And all this sounds, it sounds so good um, of, of, of what you've just explained to us, but couldn't the first century church have tampered with the text of the Old Testament at that time, and then maybe from that point Copies. forward it be transmitted correctly? Impossible. It's well, impossible. How, how can it be impossible? Three, three words. Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls did something astonishing for us to be able to check how well this process has gone on. If you'd asked me this question before 1947, I'd have to say, well, you know, the oldest Hebrew Bible we have was written in the 900s AD. I mean, who, who can tell whether it's been transmitted right? 900s AD. And uh, it was a great copy. In fact, here's a picture uh, of the Aleppo Codex, which was the best one at the time. That's from Joshua in 1.1. And uh, it turns out that's that's Aleppo code. In 1947 and prior, that would have been your best copy of what the Old Testament said. Hmm. And uh, but that's not 900 A.D. That's nine centuries after Jesus. That's a lot of centuries after Moses. I mean, who knows, right? Mm -hmm. So then, 1947, they find these scrolls in these caves in Israel near the Dead Sea, which is why they're called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they find them, and they find out that in that collection there are copies of every book. Well portions and sometimes whole copies of every book of the Bible except for one, Old Testament. 
And so they said, this is incredible. In fact, the earliest ones in that collection date back to 150 BC. So now we've got a scientific test. Let's take our Aleppo Codex, copied in 900 AD. Let's take parts of what comes out of Dead Sea Scrolls in 150 BC. And we have a thousand year test to see how they did on this, what I claimed, a very rigorous copying regimen carrying forward. And they looked at it and found out that, that virtually it's unchanged. In fact, uh, the entire book of Isaiah is in the Dead Sea Scrolls. They went through and counted it word by word. 95% of Isaiah is exactly the same. And the 5% that's different are slight slips of the pen, slight changes in, in small words. It's, all, it's almost nothing. So it has nothing to do with the content. A thousand years. Wow. Wow. A thousand years. So, wow. That's amazing. So whether the early church, you know, the, the great and abominable church itself, changed the Old Testament in the times of Jesus doesn't make any difference because we jumped over the time of Jesus Mm -hmm. to 150 mm -hmm. years before, mm -hmm. and it didn't get changed. Mm -hmm. So the Old Testament case is kind of closed. So no one could possibly have tampered with an authorized copy and it not be found out No, and later. so that's the thing. You saw a picture of the Aleppo Codex. If someone had gone in there with a razor blade and scraped all that stuff out or cut big holes out of it, yeah. or chapters, I mean, you'd be able to yeah. tell. And the, yeah. the copyists, the Jewish copyists, would look at that and say, wait a second, something's wrong with this text. Well, we're going to throw this away. It's been tampered with. It's been cut out. Because they, they caretaked and very, very carefully watched it. But there's, there's actually a much bigger issue than having your tampering being uh, found out, it turns out. What's that? Well, they wouldn't have had opportunity to do it. <laughs> and here's the problem. In, in first century, you've got to think about this. Around 64, 65, 66 AD, the first Jewish war started off with Rome, between the Jews and the Romans. It ended in 70 AD when Titus came in, you know, and he took over Jerusalem and took down the temple and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Well, about that time, the Jews in town were saying, we got to pack up and get out of here. And the people who were in charge of taking care of their, their holy scriptures, the roles, they said, we got we to take care of these. So the first thing they did when the Jewish-Roman War, the first one broke out, they said, let's collect these things together and leave town. Well, that was 68, 69, 70 AD. That's before the last apostle dies. That's before the great and abominable church would have risen up. All those copies of the Old Testament kind of went whoosh and took off. On top of that, there weren't many Christians in town to do it anyway, because a few, about five years earlier, Nero, who had Rome burn, blamed it on the Christians. Mm -hmm. Officially, Christian um, persecution started about five years before the first Jewish-Roman War, and so a lot of the Christians were out of town. They were, they were gone, so they're scattered. The Christians are scattered all over the place. Shortly after that, all the Jews collect up all the scriptures, and they're out of there. Mm -hmm. Now, at that point, if the great and abominable church wants to find a single manuscript that they can cut things out of and be influential, they can't find them. Everyone's scattered, so the opportunity's gone. So even if they wanted to hunt and search them down to do it specifically, they wouldn't have been able couldn't, to do it. Couldn't do it. So that's the Old Testament. That's let's move Testament. on to the New Testament, and, and how accurate is that? How, let's. Well, let's start with Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor, what's that got Pearl to do with it? Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Uh, let's put this picture up. This is a great picture. This is an actual picture taken from a wing camera from one of the Japanese attack planes. You can see a torpedo going off on the far side of Ford Island right there. Um, I bring this up because we just last month um, celebrated the, the 70th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor. 70 years mm -hmm. last month. Wow. And, uh, and remember the 70 years because that's really important for what I'm going to say in a second here. Um, but let's say, let's say for a second, I, we'll do a social experiment. Let's say what I wanted to do was publish a book where I, ex I, I, I eradicated the plain and precious truths about the attack on Pearl Harbor. Let's mm -hmm. say, for instance, I write a book and I say, well, um, it wasn't a sneak attack by, by the Japanese. It was, the, the Americans fired the first shot. 
for number one. And, and I could say uh, not only that, but um, uh, it wasn't a sneak attack. I could even say that USS Arizona, which you can go to today, which is sunk down in the harbor right there. I could say in this book that I write when I take out these plain and precious truths that the Arizona wasn't sunk during the attack. It just kind of developed a hole in its hull later in the years and it just sunk to the bottom and they never, I mean, I could, I could write a book about all this stuff. The question is, <clears throat> could I get away with that account? No way. And, and why? No why, way. Why couldn't I? Well, there's a lot of reasons why you couldn't. There's people that have written journals, they've written diaries, there's eyewitness accounts, there's stories that fathers told their sons of, of the events that took place on that day. There's no way. It's that, too fresh. Yeah. I mean, for all of us sitting here, we, we'd say, that's crazy. Yeah. You, you just, you, you couldn't sell that book in 2012 right now at all. Just couldn't do it. Well, there might be a few weirdos that yeah, buy it. <laughs> Conspiracy theories. And stuff. You're right. But the oral histories are still very, very strong. I mean, uh, a lot of us have never gotten books and researched Pearl Harbor, but from the oral histories that have been passed on over the last seven decades, we know what happened. I showed you a picture of what happened. Mm -hmm. So right. you just couldn't get away with it. But let's let's take it a little bit more. During that time, there were mountains and mountains of uh, written accounts of what happened. I mean. It went through all the news wires. Every newspaper in the United States had them. Mm -hmm. uh, there was no place you could be in the United States or around the world where you couldn't find a newspaper that would tell you what happened. You know, the Japanese attack, Pearl Harbor, December 7th, Sunday morning. I mean, it, it would be there. So you have this gigantic collection of accounts. Mm -hmm. um, that would be a tremendous problem. But let's let's just keep the let's keep the experiment going. Let's say. I actually succeeded in, in writing that book with all these plain and precious truths kind of mangled and stuff yeah. like that. Now let's go out, say 200 years from now, and a historian tries to find out what really happened at Pearl Harbor, and he comes upon, uh, he comes upon my book, and he reads it, and he reads a lot of other stuff too. What's he going to think of my book? He's going to say it's nonsense and hogwash. Right. Primarily because it's one voice in the midst of hundreds of thousands of written voices spread out all over the country and all over that the world. agree with each other and yours and, doesn't yeah, agree and, and someone has said that history is really coming to an understanding of the past through witnesses through mm -hmm. witnesses and so here we would have my witness account which says one thing and thousands of others that say pretty much the same thing mm -hmm. saying it different ways mm -hmm. but the content would be the same mm -hmm. so exactly I would, I would i would be laughed out in fact if I wanted to succeed, and here's the point, if I wanted to succeed in hoodwinking all the historians from this part out by pulling out those plain and precious truths, I would have to go around and collect up every one of those articles that was ever written and collect them together, take them out of circulation so no one could see them, so that 100 years and 200 years and 1,000 years from now, the only thing anyone would read would be my stupid account. Your right? account. Mm -hmm. but you know we can't collect them. We can't collect those all up. So that's that's the problem with being able to rewrite history in this kind of a fashion. When you have that many accounts out there, I, I can't change them all. There's too many out there to, to counteract with just one, it was one just action. One. So yeah. this is the situation with the New Testament then? With yeah. The yeah, you can see this coming. Yeah, yeah, and that's what happened. When, uh, when, you, when you come to the New Testament, it's different from the Old Testament because it, unlike the Old Testament, it didn't have a centralized, skillful set of scribes who were copying it. Instead, I mean, Paul, Paul writes a letter in the 50s. You know, he's, he starts writing his letters in the early 50s, mid 50s, late 50s, early 60s. He's writing his letters to Corinth and Galatia and all those kinds of places. And he's writing these without any specific instructions like, well, boys, when you finish reading this, you know, take it to the Central Correlation Center where we'll copy it and send it around. No, th that didn't happen. But churches around the area were very enthusiastic about Paul's letters mm -hmm. in the 50s and 60s. And so they said, we, we need copies of these. So mm -hmm. people just started copying like maniacs and they're, very, they're being careful 
they're also not as rigorous as the Jewish scribes, but they're they're doing a pretty good job. But the issue is they're making hundreds and thousands of, of copies these, of, of Paul's these. letters. Mm -hmm. So Paul sends a simple letter to Rome that we call Romans. It gets copied who knows how many times and psh, spread out all over the Mediterranean area. Uh, we can't we can't fix that. We can't change that even if we wanted to. So so yeah, that's the same thing. And we know for a fact when you get to 100 AD, now just 100 AD, we know for a fact that all of Paul's letters have been have been collected together and copies have been in strong circulation mm -hmm. by 100 AD. That's right. All four Gospels, as we know them today, were copied and were in strong circulation uh, by 100 AD. And I mention 100 AD because 100 AD is exactly 70 years after the death of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So the same problem yes. I would have right now trying to change the precious truths about Pearl Harbor, by 100 AD, you'd, it would be impossible. It's still too fresh. It's, it's still, still too, too fresh. fresh for them to get yeah. by with that. It's still too fresh. It would be, yeah. be virtually impossible. But what about, um, in uh, uh, well, the phony Gospels? They, couldn't oh, some right. of these phony Gospels be written around the first century, the uh, 100 AD? Well, they could have. We have some of them. The Gospel of Thomas is one of them. Although the, the copy we have isn't 100 AD, it's somewhere around 300 or 350 AD. But um, but because we have so many other, again, witness voices about what the Gospels were about, who Jesus was, you look at the Gospel of Thomas, the one voice, mm -hmm. and you compare it against the thousands of voices of manuscripts we have, and we say, well, this Gospel of Thomas, I don't know. It's like going on the witness stand in court, saying, well, I don't know. You're one voice, but thousands of others say something else. In fact, what most people don't, don't know is that the Bible, the New Testament, has more documentary evidence than any mm -hmm. on earth. Earth. That's right. On Earth. I think it the does. closest the closest is Homer's Iliad. Homer's Iliad has about I think about six hundred ancient Greek copies that we can read from. Plato only has ten. Did you know that all we know about Plato comes from ten Greek copies we have? Hmm. Homer's Iliad about six hundred. The New Testament has roughly five thousand Greek manuscripts. Mm -hmm. And those Greek manuscripts in the early couple of centuries were also translated into other languages like Coptic for mm -hmm. Egypt, mm -hmm. Syriac for Syria, Roman. A Latin went to, and they got copied into other languages, translated, and then sent out into huge geographic areas. So the same thing happened as in Pearl Harbor. This stuff got copied, copies, 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 other languages sent out all over the place. You can't collect them back up. It's like it exploded. Right, right. There's no so way you collect them all. There's no way you can collect them back up. You can't get all the copies back from Egypt, and all the copies back from Syria, and all the copies back from you know wherever they went. From right. From Ephesus, they're everywhere. Yeah. So yeah. trying to clean those up is a is a big problem, and as a result. We have so many of those documents that say pretty much the same thing. We can spot the phonies really easily because, mm -hmm. like my book, mm -hmm. spot the phony. It's mm -hmm. easy. It's one voice amidst thousands. That's it. But there, but some of the New Testament documents are not in agreement. Wouldn't this kind of fall right into their thinking that the New Testament isn't yeah. reliable? And, and let's be realistic. Your your email writer was right. It's copies of copies of copies of copies of copies of. There will be some errors that creep into that, but those little errors, um, to date, none of them are doctrinally influential. They have no nothing to do with doctrine. They're usually small kinds of things, but they are extraordinarily useful in terms of tracking where this copy came from. Because mm -hmm. if this guy today slipped his pen and wrote wrote something slightly wrong, misspelled someone's name, for instance, and that copy went on. The copies from him, we, we would know it came from him. So these little glitches or little hiccups, I call them, that are part of these tiny translation 
differences gives us an extraordinarily powerful way to track whose copy came from mm -hmm. who. And it gives us an even stronger case to know where these things came from. And so those are actually, they're wonderful. They allow us to track the family tree of the copies of the New Testament. You know, that was one of the things that impressed me uh, when I, as a new Christian, first starting to study the Bible, there would be a footnote note there that said, well, this, this copy set uses this word, and, and that, that there might be an alternate translation there, but it never changed the meaning of the passage. And I thought, Oh, I can check it out. It gives me yeah. the opportunity to check it out. That's right. So the people who claimed that the Bible was mistranslated never studied the Bible themselves. They never to, very closely. To, they sure didn't. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. The, the charge that passages have been edited, altered, reshaped, and rewritten to fit someone else's preconceived idea or motive cannot possibly be true. Yeah, it's very, very difficult. And uh, uh, we can say a couple more things after that when we come back from the break. But okay. uh, it's pretty much a... It, it's, I'll just say this, it's almost a social impossibility to have changed what was written to such a degree that we would not be able to detect that we wouldn't plain know about it. things are gone. That we, we wouldn't, wouldn't know. know. We would know we what know they were. Small misspellings happen. Yeah, exactly. Okay, we're ready to open up our telephone lines now. Our number is 801-973-8820. 8820 is TV20. Give us a call. Stay on topic. And right now we have a message we'd like to share with you. You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of a Shield and Refuge ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. You are welcome to join us in our monthly support group, Life After Polygamy, <laughs> where you can meet others like yourself who are searching for answers about polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism. We meet monthly in the Salt Lake City area. For more details about time and place, call us toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. We want you to know that we've made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv. There you will find the DVD, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, which documents the real-life stories told firsthand of those who were lifted out of the culture of polygamy through the power and love of Jesus Christ. Also, free of charge to you is the booklet, Is Polygamy Biblical? It explores plural marriage in the context of God's Word and answers questions like, Did God ever command polygamy? Is it part of God's plan? While you are at our website, Make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. There are more than 100 shows to choose from. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. Simply follow the links to the live streaming video page. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. 
That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome back to our show. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm Doris Hansen, your host, and our guest is Jim Catlin. We are discussing, <clears throat> pardon me, the reliability of the biblical record and we've been discussing some very interesting information about how we can know that the Bible is translated uh, correctly and we can trust its contents just like God promised. Hmm. So uh, our telephone lines are open. We do invite you to, to join in our conversation here and to weigh in on with your questions or comments. Uh, you can telephone 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. And again, please stay on topic. This is a good topic. And if, if you've got some input, we'd love to hear from you. Um, so Jim, um, while we're waiting for the calls to come in, let's go back to what we were talking about, the errors that, that couldn't be there like people claim. Are there errors in the New Testament? Are there errors there? Well, error is a strong term to use. <coughs> there, are, there are differences because there's differences in the, the 5,000 Greek manuscripts you know, that were informally copied. But again, when you go through and you look at the differences, they're not, they're not substantial. They're very small. And like your Bible says, mine says the same thing. You know, they'll put a little flag in a section and say, well, this was not said in the earliest manuscripts. Or actually, that, that whole... Um, that whole strategy started with the King James Bible, because when the King James translators published the King James Bible, they wanted it to be word for word literal. So any word that didn't show up in the original Greek, they would make italicized. Mm -hmm. And so you know what, reading the King, oh, right. well, that's not in the original Greek, but right. those other words are. Yeah. And Joseph Smith, when he decided to translate the Bible, decided to get rid of most of those italicized words to show how smart he was. Yeah. <laughs> it messed so, up pretty good, didn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. And you know, uh, there, there have been, since the, the canon of the Bible has been in place, um, commentators through the centuries who have quoted the Bible, mm -hmm. and they've quoted mm -hmm. it extensively. In fact, I have, from what I understand, they could take all the comments that these commentators have done, and, and they clip them all out and put them together, and they can re-put the New Testament together, oh. with the exception of about 10 verses, I believe it is, yeah. word yeah. for word, because of the because they quoted the New Testament so extensively in their writings. Yeah, I have a note about that here somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I'll get to that later. And, well, yeah. and they're quoted correctly according to what our Bible says. Yeah, someone asked, someone asked uh, a really smart guy who lived, he was a Scottish uh, lord, it turns out, in the 18th century, asked him, said, what would happen if we lost all of our, all of the papyruses, all the, all the old Greek documents we have from the third century on, and could we reconstitute the New Testament? He says, well, that's a great challenge because here on my bookshelf, I've got all the recordings of what the church fathers read in church and what they said. They're called lectionaries. I wonder how much of their quotes I can reconstitute the Bible from. Mm -hmm. And in, this is like 1780. He went through and did it and said, oh, you know, I can reconstitute the entire New Testament except for 11 verses. 11 verses. So that's, that just gives you an idea how widespread this stuff is. Yeah. You, you eradicate a little bit, you still have enough to reconstitute right. the whole thing. It's exactly. astonishing. Yeah. So, so what, <clears throat> I'd be interesting to know, what did Joseph Smith fix <laughs> Well, <laughs> when he did his, it's not really a translation he did, but when he did his revised bourbon. He did a lot of fixes. Yeah. If, if you've ever read the JST, or actually if you've got a quad, like I've got a quad right here, it has notes in the bottom to the JST. It has a big chunk of, of JST stuff in the middle, actually. It has the big section of Genesis 50 added. Mm -hmm. So you say, oh, this is a great test. We know where there's slight little hiccups, little glitches in the New Testament. I mean, we see them. They're very evident from the, from the thousands of documents we have. I wonder how many of those Joseph fixed. 
Yeah. Zero. Zero. He didn't catch a single one of them. He changed a lot of other stuff, but he didn't do that. And let me give you a few examples, because these are, these are, these are, I'll show you how really silly some of them are. Isaiah 5.25 talks about the carcasses uh, being torn in the streets, is what the phrase says. Well, torn in the, torn is a word that's used in King, King James, but torn's a, everyone knows and agrees. That's a bad translation. It's, it's not actually the word torn, it's the word refuse or dung. So the corpses are dung or refuse in the streets, not torn. Well, so when, so when Isaiah 5 is copied into the Book of Mormon in 2 Nephi 15, they copy the wrong translation of the word. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's not a Hebrew scholar who debates this. Yeah. It's just, it's the wrong one. You would think that when it get into 2 Nephi, and I can tell you, if 2 Nephi 15 said, that the corpses were refuse or they were dung in the streets, I would probably be a Mormon today. Wow. Because that's something they sh he should not have been he able to know. Mm. But, he, but he copied the, the error. There's a couple other errors. He copied several errors that way, didn't he? Several it? errors. And, mm. and in fact, some of the errors are so specific to the edition of the King James Bible, we can tell exactly which year edition the King James Bible he copied from. And that's, that's the same technique we use to be able to qualify old Greek texts. When you have a lot of them and you got them right in front of you, you can tell where the error crept in. There's a, mm -hmm. there's a very famous famous change in 1 John 5, verses 7 and 8, where there's this, there's this kind of trinity thing added oh, yeah. in a section. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, it doesn't largely change the content. It doesn't, it's not like 1 John 5 says there's no trinity and this one does. It's not that. It just kind of it supports the case of what's there. We can go back and we can tell you the guy who added that into the Bible. So sure enough, today, you take any modern translation, yours or mine, it'll say, well, uh, some newer manuscripts say this, but the, but the vast majority of the old manuscripts don't. So we kind of, it was shoved in somewhere around 220 yeah. A.D. and we sort of know who did it. Interesting. Yeah, How so interesting. it's very clever. It, that that, that should close any questions that anybody would have about yeah. the veracity of the Bible. Okay, we've got some calls here we'd like to take. One that's off the air question. If you went back 100 years in the Book of Mormon, then forward to today, would there be major changes? We're going to talk about that next wow. week. <laughs> That's a big yes. <laughs> yes, there, uh, that is a big yes. That's a and, big yes. And Bishop Earl is going to be our guest next week. And he said that what led him out of the Mormon church was he found those errors from the 1830 Book of Mormon to today's Book of Mormon. And he's coming next week and we're going to share those errors. So that will answer your question then. And, and by the way, it's especially serious because Joseph made a special claim. He said that he translated word for word and the word wouldn't go away from his vision until it was written down exactly yeah, right. that's right. Well, I, I don't make that claim for the New Testament, but for him, he's got a very high charge to stay up to. That's exactly so. right. Good point. Okay, we've got line one. Carl calling from Murray. Hello, Carl. Yes. You're on the air. You turn your TV down. Hello? Hi. Hello? This is Carl. This, I have a question for the pastor with you. I have a, a lot of friends that are Greek. A lot of them speak Greek still. And I, I've been told that the Greek Bible has never been translated or added to or taken anything out of. It is still in the original tongue. It has never changed. Is that true? Well, it depends. I'll hang up and let him answer. Thank it, you very much, Yeah, Carl. it depends on how you say that. It, we, have, we have pieces of Greek New Testament that go back to 125 A.D., but they're only of, of certain portions of the Bible. Now, if, 
Did that change? Well, all copies from that did slightly change because of copyist errors. But if what you're saying is that is that is that original oldest Greek reflective in our new translations? Yes, they are. That's one of the problems with the King James. The King James, although the academic level of King James was wonderfully high, they really tried hard. Since the time of 1611, we've had so many other a manuscript documents come to light that we say, well, these not only support what they came up with, but there's a huge body of them that might say something slightly different or might put in a different context. So yeah, I think the value among Bible translators is to use the oldest Greek possible and the most witness voices of those. In fact, uh, translators actually call those little pieces of Greek and Hebrew, they call them witnesses. Because mm -hmm, that's what mm -hmm. they are, they're that's witnesses. Right. And I'd like to make mention here that even those slight changes that are evident, they're nothing that has to do with doctrine, with nope. our salvation nope. issues, with the divinity of God, with the divin or Jesus Christ, I should say, being God, right, right. And, and salvation by grace, uh, through faith, not by works. And none of those issues are tweaked at all with, yeah. with those questions. Yeah, that's exactly right. And if those things did have large changes in doctrine, it, we would know about We'd it. Know we have about enough it. critics who say, ah, oh, excuse me, you know, this is not right. Yeah. But, but they're all very, very benign. I mean, there, there's another one that happens in, in John 1.28, talks about about uh, the, the King James says that uh, John will be baptizing in the Jordan out at Bethabara. Well, he was actually baptizing at Bethany. So where's the Bethabara part? Well, that, that's actually a, just a translation error. <laughs> and and uh, if you have a newer translation, it'll say Bethany. If you've got the King James, it'll say Bethabara. Does it change my doctrine about the nature of God? No, but it's a very useful glitch in the translation mm -hmm. so I can track things. Mm -hmm. I can track the yeah. fact that that particular passage goes into 1 Nephi 10.9, and they use the errant King James Version. And they use the wrong. They didn't fix it. <laughs> so that's very useful to it me. It is very useful. So. It's very good. All right, line three, we have Beth calling from West Valley. Hello, Beth. Hi, Doris. How are you guys? We're doing good. great. Thank you. You know, I have a book that might be uh, very helpful to people. Um, I was a Mormon for about 40 years, and that was one of the issues that came up with me is, you know, was the Bible truly the Word of God? And there's a book out by Josh McDowell called mm -hmm. New Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And, I mean, this man did years and years and years of massive research. And once you read that, at least in my mind, there was absolutely no doubt of the accuracy of the Bible, that Jesus was, you know, who he said he was, that the crucifixion, the crucifixion was real. So, I, you know, any non-Bible-believing people out there, that might be a great book to read. That's a very good point, Ben. Thanks suggestion. for calling. It's a great That's suggestion. Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. And if anybody doesn't quite get that, you can email us after the show, and we'll be happy to to uh, give you the full uh, title and also the author. But Beth, thank you very much. That's a good suggestion. Great lead. Bye -bye. I, and I'll mm -hmm. add to that too. Um, that's where most that's where most people start because Josh McDowell's done the best job collecting together from so many sources. Mm -hmm. um, another one uh, that's really really approachable. F. F. Bruce, who's well known, wrote called uh, wrote a book called The New Testament Documents. Are they reliable? He published it in 1943, and it's been in perpetual reprint ever since, and it's been updated. It's astonishingly good to take a look at this whole idea about how can you change the history of Pearl Harbor? Impossible. Yeah. How can you change the history of the New Testament? 
impossible. And Bruce does a great job telling you why. Okay, FF Bruce, another FF one. Bruce, okay. Yeah. Um, we our phone lines are open 801-973-TV20. If you'd like to call in, weigh in on this, or if you have questions, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call. Uh, now, part of the charges that the LDS Church has made, and I want to mention also the polygamous groups believe exactly same the same thing. thing. They yeah. don't believe the Bible is translated correctly, and they stick with the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants as their, um, as their material. They've charged that plain and precious parts of the gospel mm -hmm. have been removed by the great and abominable church. Would you say what exactly those plain and precious parts are? Do you know? Do you have a clue? Well, see, this, this is one of the problems. I, I, when I ask that question, I get a lot of hemming and hawing. So I made my own list. Okay. And this, this list, okay, because in, in the passage we read in First Nephi before, it said that they were covenants. So I'm thinking, okay, so what covenants do I know that are part of the followers of Joseph Smith? What covenants do they do that are not anywhere substantiated in the New Testament? So if, if that's it... Those are the plain and precious truths that are not there because they're clearly not in the New Testament. So here's a list I made. It's a kind of a quick list. These are the things maybe I'm guessing if you're if you're LDS or you're a fundamentalist and you can know better, let me know. But this is my guess about what the plain and precious parts are. Things like men can become gods or God's the result of eternal progression or God's an exalted man who may have sinned himself or God has a body of flesh and bone. These are all things that are not substantiated in the Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, the plurality of gods that or that heavenly fathers united to heavenly mothers, maybe. <laughs> Uh, that God created the universe by organizing matter rather than speaking into existence. The three degrees of glory as is in heaven, uh, that Christ is the same basic spiritual species as all mankind, as you or I in that sense. And, and, and you know, you can go on and on. There's, there's all, everything about the temple is not in the New Testament. Right. Uh, eternal celestial marriage, polygamy, part of that whole exaltation. Uh, the Melchizedek priesthood. So, baptism for the dead. So we could go on and on and on. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe these are the plain and precious parts that they claim got excised out of, you know, the, the flow of the documents of the Old and New Testament. The but. problem the problem is they're not in the Book of Mormon either. Ah. So is, is the Book of Mormon the restored gospel in that sense? Is, can you get closer to God by reading it than any other book? Well, I don't know because the things that are gone and plain and precious truths, the same robbers who cut them out of the Bible must have cut them out of the Book of Mormon because they're not there either. Mm -hmm, that's true. So Absolutely true. It, it makes me wonder. Their, their main doctrines aren't in the Bible. So actually, can someone call in and, and tell us what the plain and precious truths are that they know have been left out that now have been restored? Because that's my guess. But I don't know. Yeah, yeah, and they would have to be, they, they would have to be restored into the Book of Mormon because that is the most uh, correct book on the face of the earth, and it was that book that we could get closer to God than any other. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Theoretically, so I should I should have my whole restored gospel straight if I read the the Book right, of Mormon. Right. Right. Also, if you go on in that First Nephi passage we started the show with, First Nephi thirteen, when you get down to thirty five. It tends to imply pretty strongly that these restored truths will come out of the Book of Mormon. Because let me read this for you. See if see if you disagree. Um, for First Nephi thirteen thirty five, uh, for behold, saith the Lamb, I will manifest myself unto thy seed, and they shall write many things which I shall minister unto them, which shall be plain and precious. And after thy seed shall be destroyed, that's the seed of the Nephites, presumably, and dwindle in unbelief, and also the seed of thy brethren, that's presumably the Lamanites, uh, behold, these things shall be hid up to come forth unto the Gentiles by the gift and power of the Lamb. That hid up phrase is very specific, usually to the plates that were hidden that Joseph Smith dug up. So mm -hmm. 
Correct me if I'm wrong, those of you who are better Book of Mormon scholars than me, but 1 Nephi 13 sounds like the plain and precious truths will be coming out of the ground after the Nephites and Lamanites go away. The hit up for the Gentiles, isn't that the Book of Mormon? They're not there. And they weren't restored in the Joseph Smith translation again. No, we go he back didn't to add that. them to the Bible either. restore them yeah. either in theirs. So I'm not. confused about the plain and precious truths and with the, the guarantee that Joseph Smith as translator should have put them back in and he didn't, I yeah. don't get it. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Okay, good points. All righty, we have Marsha calling from Ogden. Hello, Marsha. Good evening. Um, I've been listening to this show, obviously, and I caught the lady's phone call about just previously about uh, Josh McDowell's book. Yes. And even, the, um, she'd been a member of the church longer than I have, and I was a member of the church too, and I, I'm pretty certain, uh, you might have to correct me, but I'm pretty certain this is another thing that might help people out to read that book. I believe Josh McDowell was um, an atheist and was a newspaper reporter or something like that mm -hmm. who started out with the intent of disproving the Bible and started looking at all these things and found out that he couldn't. And that's where he came up with how he wrote the book. That's true. Yeah, that's, 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 absolutely that's true. true. I don't think he was a newspaper reporter, but he had intended to disprove the Bible by showing that it came from scurry background. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and yeah. I, thought, I thought it was pretty neat. And so this book is very powerful to the opposite of what he was intending on doing. Yeah, and, and it's very comprehensive as well. Exactly. Thanks, Thank Marsha. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye. Okay, we've got Jill calling from West Valley. Hello, Jill. Hello, You need to turn your TV down. <laughs> Jill? Yes, it's Jill. You, you need to turn your television down, Jill. Yes, I muted it. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, okay, my question is, is there any other church um, other than the Mormon Church that has rewritten the Bible. The uh, Jehovah Witnesses, the New World Translation has. That's what I was going to say, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They have. What's the name of the church? The, the other church? The Jehovah Witnesses, they wrote the New World Translation. They call it uh, a uh, translation, but it isn't because the guy who did it didn't know Hebrew or Greek. Yeah. Just oh. like Joseph Smith. Okay. Yeah. And um, then. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I did believe that um, at the end of the Bible, it does say that um, it is not to be rewritten or added to or anything that would change what is already there. Yeah, there, that line is there in the end of Revelation. I think a lot of people misapply it and think that applies to the entire collection of the Bible because it, that may not be true. But it does It does definitely apply to Revelation. And Joseph Smith changed Revelation. And he changed it big time. In fact, a friend of mine <laughs> I know has, has a copy of the Joseph Smith translation that's written in parallel with uh, the New Testament, you know, mm -hmm. left and right. And he just highlights all the things that Joseph Smith changed in Revelation. And, and he'll say, so like all of these changes right yeah, here. So, yeah, yeah. But, you know, a lot of people would say, well, he was qualified because he was the prophet. But still, the warning is God quite serious. And if you mm -hmm. apply it just to Revelation. Warning is quite serious. Um, yeah. Is the same war warning in the Book of Mormon? Not that I know of. I'm, now, that's but a question. But it can't be changed. I'm not sure. I don't think so. Or added to. Well, that's a good point. I'd like to find out because there has been almost 4,000 changes made to the Book of Mormon. So I'd like to find that one out. Yeah. Oh, and I was joking. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> well, but what a lot of people don't know is that Doctrine and Covenants has gone through huge changes. Mm -hmm. 
too. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Well, I'll look forward to your your program next week. Okay, great. Thanks for yeah. calling. Uh -huh, thank you. Oh, bye. All right, we have Stanley calling from Provo. Hello, Stanley. Hello. Oh, how are you? Yeah, we're on. You're on the air. Do you want to ask your question or yeah, make your comment? I just want to. I think the scripture is John seventeen three. It says all scriptures are inspired of God, and if they are inspired by God, then how can somebody say that um, just because mankind has his own, um, the word's will, but Mormons use a word, um, they use a word, the word is, um, oh, I can't remember what the word is, but it means they have their own will, that Agency. they would be allowed to mess up a letter that God has made to man. They have. They can mess up their own lives, but I don't think they can mess up what God does. <laughs> That's right. So that means that if the Bible is a letter from God to man, and that is his book, then he would keep it from being destroyed. See, just like your commentator has said, that... Um, there might have been slangs or different interpretations, not interpretations, slangs or different ways of saying things that changed over the centuries. He was perfect because he said he did not change the meaning. Right. Right. That's right. Okay. Thank you. You've hey. made some good points, Stanley. We appreciate your call. Hey. Uh-huh. Good night. Okay, we we're, we're need to start winding down our conversation here. Does, is there anything that you want to say? Shall I ask a real quick question? We've Just only a got quick about question. A minute. We've got a minute, yeah. What about the archaeology about our claim of the Bible's trustworthiness? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, the fact that you have, you have cities and names of people in the New Testament, Old Testament, that exist is, a, is an extraordinary thing. Uh, and I'll give you one quick example. Way back... Um, uh, for years, it turns out that people said Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate is a is a predominant figure in the New Testament, and yet he does not exist anywhere in any of Roman history. So Pontius Pilate must not exist. The Bible is crazy. But then in the mid '60s, they found Pontius Pilate's name inscribed on a piece of stone in Caesarea, and they all went, "Oh, never mind." Yeah. So when you get things like that, you go, "Well, that's really pretty astonishing." In fact, here's a picture of that stone itself. It says Pontius Pilate on it. Mm -hmm. And I got I have to add because this is this is really relevant here. There's not a single proper name, either a city or a person, from the Book of Mormon that shows up anywhere in the world in the like that. So yeah. when you have a document that does that, you have to say, well, maybe it, uh, it's historical, even if it looks silly with Pontius Pilate, because he really did exist. Well, thank you, Jim. Um, I'd, I'd like to thank you for coming on and sharing this with us. We hope that we've touched some people's hearts to get them to provoke them to kind of check these things out and take the biblical record very seriously, because it, it is full of yeah. information for our souls. And in my closing comments, I'd like to talk about Psalm 119, 152 tells us that God established his statutes that they would last forever. 
And Ecclesiastes 3.14 says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. You know, the people of the Old Testament trusted God when he promised that everything he did and everything he said would last forever. And Jesus told us in John 12.48, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him on the last day. So not accepting the words Jesus spoke is equal to rejecting Jesus himself. He said if we reject him, his very words will condemn us. And his words are recorded in the Bible. They were recorded accurately, completely, and faithfully. God watched over and protected the integrity of the translation, of the transmission, and the accurate preservation of his word. You can bank your eternity on that because God promised he would do it. God has the power to do it, and he did do it. Those who teach that we cannot trust the Bible are rejecting Jesus' promise that his word would never pass away. And rejecting Jesus' word is rejecting Jesus himself. It's a very serious accusation to say that the Bible was not translated correctly. God can be trusted. He has proven faithful to his promises, so you can trust the Bible from cover to cover. God credits righteousness only to those who will put their faith and trust in him. If you're trusting your church, you've got the wrong Savior. That place belongs only to Jesus Christ. So trust Him and trust Him alone. And like I said, next week Bishop Earl Erskine is our returning guest and we'll be discussing the changed and missing parts of the Book of Mormon. See you then. Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.